right, all right, all right. Well, let me pray for us. Father, thank you for the church, your body, your family. Thank you for calling us out of darkness and into your marvelous light. For we were once not a people, but you called us your people. And when we were far away, you brought us near and you did it by the blood. Thank you for rescuing us when we could not rescue ourselves. Thank you for paying for our sins, Jesus, because the wages of our sin is death. But your gift gives us eternal life. Thank you, Jesus, son of the living God. We acknowledge that you are the Messiah, the anointed one, the deliverer who was promised to come, who came and who will come again. Thank you for building your church. Thank you for allowing us to be living stones in this wonderful edifice. Thank you for indwelling us individually and even corporately with the Holy Spirit. Thank you for endowing us with spiritual gifts and the word of God and all of the weaponry we need to wage a good warfare as we occupy until you come. For we know that the church you are building is not limited by race, class, or gender. We know that the church you are building is not limited to a building or a geographical place or space. But we know that the church you are building is triumphant. Help us to get a greater glimpse of who we are and what our mission is supposed to be. Thank you, Lord, for this knowledge that comes from your word. Holy Spirit, teach us today. Teach in spite of me. May we go out better than how we came in with more understanding concerning the kingdom of God. We thank you for the victory. For we pray it all in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. Well, Paul Revere, you are not the only person to grow up with a father who said what he meant and meant what he said. And a father who expected to be obeyed the first time. And my father, Harold Emanuel Williamson Sr., because Junior is sitting right there, uh, Senior had a way of getting your attention. And my father also used a belt. Now, I know for some folks this is not politically correct, but it is biblically correct that if you spare the what? You're going to spoil your child. Well, Harold Williamson did not spare the rod. And when I would get in trouble, when I lived on 4203 Fairfax Road in Baltimore, Maryland, my bedroom, my brothers and I, our bedroom was next to mom and dad's bedroom. So when I would get in trouble, I would have to go into the bedroom and wait. Oh, Lord, you'd have to wait for your change to come. And as you're waiting, as you're waiting, I could hear through those walls when my father opened up the top drawer on the dresser. And he would reach in and he would pull out his belt that had a huge buckle on it. And I could hear through the walls and I knew judgment day was coming. (laughs) But he spanked me because he loved me. Because 
if he didn't love me, he would just let me carry on doing whatever I was doing that was wrong and even embarrassing his name. But no, because he loved me, he would spank me and discipline me in love. And although I didn't always like the whippings, I never liked the whippings. I always knew once I healed up that (laughs) the whipping was done in love. My father had great expectations for me and all of his children. He had great expectations for us. He expected me to obey my mother. And that meant not talking back to my mother because my father would let me know that she was his wife before she was my mother and that as wife she comes first before being my mother and so he was letting me know up front when you disobey her and if you talk back to her it is as if you were talking back to me and Chris we don't want that do we (laughs) no sir He had great expectations. He expected me to respect my siblings. Five of us growing up, um, I was the youngest, and he expected us to respect one another. He expected us to do our chores. We had chores growing up. And uh, I thought that I was going to be a custodian, and there's nothing wrong with being a custodian, because my father had me sweeping and vacuuming every day, it seemed. And I learned, and even to this day, my wife will tell you that I'm the best sweeper and vacuumer in our house. I know how to collect garbage because of Harold E. Williamson. He, he got me out there, man. I know how to cut grass because of Harold Emanuel Williamson. So I had chores to do, and I didn't always get an allowance for doing those things. Because he would say, now, you get to live here. So some of this stuff you're doing is just because you live here and not because you should get something for it. My good, Harold Williamson, oh, he had great expectations for me to come home when the street lights came on. Some of y'all don't even know what I just said. But they would tell you, you could play in the street, play in the street, play in the street. We didn't have the television with all the little games at that time. You could play in the street. But when you saw those street lights come on. Elder Chauncey with me, he got me. You had to have your behind in the house or else because you didn't want your mother calling for you or your father calling for you. When those lights came on, you went in the house. Not only that, my father expected me to do well in school and we had different levels of learning in our family. Of course, my sisters were the smartest ones. Uh, Harold, I think, would agree with that. Wayne was also pretty bright. But Harold and I, I don't know, uh, we, we were just happy to be a part of everything. We, <laughs> we had passing grades, amen, and my father expected us to do our best. He expected us to excel in sports. So when I got out there and I played football and he came to my first game at 11 years old and my dad attended my last game at the age of 17, he expected me to leave it all on the field. He never expected me to back down from any opponent. He expected me to use my gift to go out there and do whatever I could do for my team so that we could get the best possible results. He expected me to excel. He also, once I got married, he expected me to be a good husband. 
He expected me to be a good father to his grandchildren. And he expected me, once we planted the church, to be a good pastor. He expected these things of me because a good father will have reachable goals and great expectations for his children. So I have expectations for my children. I expect for them to succeed and to excel and to do good with their lives. Well, Paul said to the church of Corinth in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 15, For though you might have 10,000 instructors in Christ, yet you do not have many fathers, for in Christ Jesus I have begotten you through the gospel. So Paul was saying to that body, I am your spiritual father. We know that God is your heavenly father, but he used me through the gospel to see many of you come to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And then I was used to help disciple many of you to establish the church there in Corinth. He stayed there for 18 months, according to Acts chapter 18. He was sowing into that community, sowing into that church, and he considered himself to be their spiritual father. And he said, you have a whole lot of instructors, but you only have one father. And as their spiritual father, Paul had great expectations for the people in Corinth who were part of that local church. He expected them to grow spiritually. He expected this body to serve actively, and he expected the church at Corinth to give obediently. He had great expectations for them. He expected them to grow spiritually. He expected them to serve actively, and he expected them to give obediently. Because when these three components are working, you have a healthy Christian. When you are growing spiritually, when you are serving actively, and when you are giving obediently, you are a healthy Christian, and healthy Christians help produce healthy churches. But the church at Corinth was not too healthy. They had a whole lot of carnality as well as a whole lot of confusion going on. And a lot of it had to do with the fact that they were not growing spiritually. Had a lot to do with the fact that they weren't serving actively and they weren't giving obediently. And so when I looked at the challenges that Paul had with that church, because every church has challenges, And every pastor must lovingly speak hope to the congregation so that we may all grow up in the faith so that we can meet our Father in heaven's expectations for us. Uh, The elders of this church realize that we have the same membership philosophy that Paul had for the church of Corinth, and that is this. What is our membership philosophy? We expect each member to grow spiritually to serve actively, and to give obediently. So when we have a membership class in our home coming up next month, we're going to talk through these principles and these philosophies of what we expect from those who are joining our church and even what they can expect from those of us who are serving the church by leading it. Because if we don't have the expectations or know what they are, if we don't set marks and goals, we'll never hit them. And so we want to have expectations. We want you to know what to expect from us, and we want you to know what to expect from the leaders of the church. We expect for you to grow, serve, and give, because if you don't grow, serve, and give, there's a strong chance that you will sit soaked and sour. 
I'll say it one more time. If you don't grow, serve, and give, there's a strong chance you will sit, soak, and sour. And too many churches are full with people who are not participating in the body. They're sitting back, and they're sitting, soaking, and they're souring. Well, a couple of weeks ago, we talked about the first point, and that is we expect you to grow spiritually. And not only the leaders, but I believe every person in the body, we should expect these things of one another. You know, when I played baseball or basketball or football, the coaches not only had expectations for us, but the players had expectations for one another. When I was in classes and they would say, man, uh, we have an expectation for everyone to do well on this test. And if the class does well and we meet our benchmarks, we'll have pizza today. So the, the teachers not only had expectations, but we looked around the room and said, we got expectations for each other up in here too. Come on now, pull, pull, pull your weight now. Let's do this thing so we can get that goal, that prize, so we can get that cheese pizza up in here. <laughs> and so in the church, we should all have these expectations for one another because we are all, as Paul would say, members of one another. And we are to sharpen one another. And we are to encourage one another. We are to bear one another's burdens. So it's not just what the leaders can do for the body, but it's also what the body can do for itself. Oh, I hear John F. Kennedy in my left ear on a cold January day in 1960 at his great inauguration speech when he said these immortal words, ask not what your country can do for you, but ask what you can do for your country. And if I can just kind of metamorphosize those words and translate them to 2016 for Strong Tower, ask not what your church can do for you, but ask what you can do for your church. Can somebody say amen? amen. So we talked about we expect you to grow spiritually a couple of weeks ago. Um, this is an expectation, and this is something God expects of us. Uh, because if we grow spiritually, everything else will fall in line. So by way of review, when he opened up the letter, he spent a lot of time talking to the church about their position. Because if you don't know your spiritual position, then you will not be able to live spiritually. Because our practice comes out of our position, who we are in Christ, who we are because of Christ. And as a result of my identity, now my walk matches my position. So I'm challenged to live up to Philippians chapter 3, what I have attained. What have you attained? You've attained sonship, daughtership. You have been adopted. So God wants us to look like one of his children, one of the king's kids. He's the king of kings. So there, there's an, expect, an expectation for us to grow spiritually. Because when you are alive, you grow. When you are alive in Christ, you grow. And you recognize, and, and this is the irony of being a Christian, that the closer we get to Christ, the further away from him we feel. What I mean by that? Because God is so holy, and we never arrive in this life, but we are to press. And as soon as you think you on to a little something spiritually, you realize that you still have a lot of growing to do. You can say like Paul, he said, I am the chief of sinners. He didn't say I was, he said I am. And if there was anyone who understood position, it was Paul. And he knew who he was in Christ, yet he also understood who he was as a man that he was still fallen and wretched. But the grace of God, 
but the grace of God. So the closer I press into Christ, the more I see that I am not like Christ, even though the spirit is conforming me to be like Christ. We still have a long way to go. And I thank God that down here, this walk of sanctification, that this is not the finish line. Up there is the finish line because what he's going to do is he's going to transform this body into his body. This mortal must put on immortality. But until that time, I'm pressing to lay hold of that for which Christ laid hold of me. It's about a relationship, not about rules and rituals and regulations. It's about a relationship, intimacy with God. And the more time I spend with Jesus, the more I say, like Peter when Peter was on that boat and Jesus told him to throw the net on that side and he said Lord you really don't know what you're talking about you're a a carpenter I'm a fisherman we've been out here all night but since you said it I'll do it and then he throws it in and the fish just jump in and Peter said Lord have mercy on me I'm a sinful man and Jesus didn't get away from him he stayed close to him and so God's grace we see Lord have mercy on me Lord I'm a mess and that's when the Lord says and you're growing spiritually Because if you can't admit that you're a mess, then I can't turn your mess into a message. But if you think you got it going on 24-7, you're fooling yourself. You need me just as much now as when you got saved. (laughs) Oh, growing spiritually, growing spiritually, growing spiritually. Because we can always pray a little more. We can always study a little more. We can always witness a little more, as Jonathan said. We can always serve a little more. There's a whole lot more we can do. So he expects church each one of them grow spiritually grow spiritually and then today we expect you to serve actively oh yeah whether we come along willingly or unwillingly the holy spirit will conform us to the image of jesus christ romans 8 29 we've been predestined to be conformed to the image of Christ. So the spirit is making us more like Christ every day, even though we become more aware of our flaws and our need for Jesus and our help from Jesus. But the Holy Spirit is making us more like Jesus. As we submit to his work, his will and his way and his word, we are becoming, we are being transformed. Second Corinthians chapter three, verse 18, from glory to glory to glory. But we need to decide, are we going to come along willingly or unwillingly? The other day I saw somebody walking a dog And they were dragging this dog along, just pulling this dog. This dog was trying to do his own thing, stopping, sniffing, trying to do stuff. And the owner was like, no, we have another direction. Now, come on, come on, come on. Saw the dog try to stop and sniff other dogs. Owner was like, come on, come on, just choking the dog. Come on. And sometimes the Holy Spirit, you know, we're going to get where God wants us to be. He can still hit a bullseye with a crooked stick. We're going to hit that bullseye. But it's best for us if we just come along willingly and not have to get yanked from time to time. The Holy Spirit, he's going to get us to look like Jesus. And ultimately, to look like Jesus, we're going to have to die. You know, and not just in eternity and in glory. You know, when we die and put off this earth suit and put on a suit like Jesus. But he wants us to die every day throughout the day. Because the only way we can look like Jesus is if there is a death and a resurrection. A death and a resurrection. And the Holy Spirit is like, come on, Chris, and die willingly. Take up your cross and die. Oh, don't let me have to pull you along now. Come on. So he's going to get us there. And as the Holy Spirit conforms us to the image of Christ, guess what we're going to look like? Servants. My God, we're going to look like servants. Why? Because Jesus did not come to be served, but to serve and to give 
his life as a ransom for many. So the more we look like Jesus, the more we're going to serve, the more we're going to give, and a little bit later, the more we're going to forgive. The more we are conformed to the image of Jesus, we're going to serve, we're going to give, and we're going to forgive. But today we're talking about serving because the Bible says in Philippians chapter 2, verse 7, that when Jesus came, he did not consider his equality with God something to be selfishly clung to, but instead he emptied himself and made himself of no reputation and taking upon him the form of a servant, the form of a slave, a doulos. He became a slave. So if we are going to look like Jesus and the Holy Spirit is going to conform us to Jesus, the more we're going to look like servants, the more we're going to look like slaves, the more we're going to humble ourselves. And that's hard for the flesh. And that's why we got the Holy Spirit to help us put down the flesh so that we may be a servant, a foot washing, life giving servant. And if the church is filled up with servants, you got a revival in that church. But oh, just like Corinth, the church isn't always filled with servants. Not this church, but a lot of other churches, not that. And I mean, there's so many servants in this church uh, and a servant, you know, you're a servant because you don't ever want to be seen. You just want to do, you want to serve and you don't want to be noticed, acknowledged. And my, hold on, hold on. I got some good stuff for you. Let's start reading at verse chapter four. Listen to this. Let me say this first. God has given each one of his children. How do you gonna serve God? He's given you at least one spiritual gift to serve him with. How, okay, I'm going to be conformed to the image of Christ. He's given me a spiritual gift to serve him with and to serve other people with. A spiritual gift is a divine enablement from God. This is beyond talents, and talents come from God too. This is something that comes from the Holy Spirit when you were converted, that he placed in your spiritual DNA. He gave you something. He gave you a spiritual gift But the big question is, do you know what your spiritual gift is? Because when we know our spiritual gifts, it unlocks our purpose. When you don't know your spiritual gift, you really don't understand why you've been born again. You've been born again to give God glory, to advance his kingdom, to serve in his church, to bless people. But your spiritual gift is key for that. And if you don't know what your gift is, then you're missing your purpose of why you've been born again. But oh, once we find our gift, our purpose is right there with it. And not only your purpose, but your passions. All of this stuff will coincide. So Paul had to write to this church to answer some of their questions about spiritual gifts. So let's start at verse 4. And Paul says, there are diversities of gifts, but the same spirit. There are differences of ministries, but the same Lord. And there are diversities of activities, but it is the same God who works all in all. Stop right there. So we see a God who enjoys and creates and anticipates and expects diversity. But so often because of our fearfulness and our desire to control and be one up on somebody, we want people to be the same. We want them to be like us. We don't want them to have room to have the Holy Spirit create ministry or gifts or activities for them. 
No, he gives different things. It's the same spirit, the same God, the same Savior who gives different gifts and opportunities. So we should celebrate diversity and not try to push for homogeneity. We should celebrate diversity. Everybody can't do the same thing. We're not meant to do the same thing. Verse 7, but the manifestation of the spirit is given to who? Each one. For the what? The profit of all. He gave you something for somebody else. He blessed you to be a blessing. Don't sit on what he gave you. The body of Christ needs what he gave you. He gave it to help profit all of us. For to one, verse 8, is given the word of wisdom through the spirit. To another, the word of knowledge through the same spirit. To another, faith by the same spirit. To another, gifts of healings by the same spirit. To another, the working of miracles. To another, prophecy. To another, discerning of spirits. To another, different kinds of tongues. To another, the interpretation of tongues. But one and the same spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually as he wills. For just like I didn't have any say over what kind of ears I would be born with, he decided these were the kind of ears I would have. I didn't have any say over what kind of gift he would give me. He gave it to me as he willed for his glory and for the edification of others. So I need to know what my gift is. I believe we have at least one primary gift and we may have many secondary gifts, but man, we have at least one. Now, what are the spiritual gifts, Pastor? We see some of them here in 1 Corinthians 12. We know that there are some also in Ephesians chapter 4. We also know that they're found in 1 Peter chapter 4, Romans chapter 12. Well, if we would try to put together a biblical list, here are the spiritual gifts, and some will differ from these lists, but we see administration, apostleship. Craftsmanship. Did you know that the first people who were filled with the Spirit in the Bible were the artists who worked on the temple and the Ark of the Covenant? Those are the first people who received the filling of the Holy Spirit. So they had the gift, the empowerment, the divine enablement to make God's tabernacle the way he wanted it to be made. And so we also go on with the gift of evangelism. We all have the responsibility of evangelism, but there are just some folk, man, this is their thing, their endowment from God. Then there's exhortation, discernment, faith, giving, healing, hospitality, interpretations of tongues, knowledge, leadership, mercy, miracles, prophecy, serving. Sometimes that word serving is used as ministering, shepherding, teaching, tongues, and wisdom. These are the spiritual gifts and Some have tried to break these gifts up into three sections, and that is the speaking gifts, the serving gifts, and the sign gifts. The speaking gifts, evangelism, prophecy, teaching, the serving gifts, hospitality, giving, mercy, and the sign gifts, you know, healing and tongues and miracles. And so uh, you could break it up that way. But one problem at Corinth was that they placed too much emphasis on having the sign gifts and the speaking gifts. That's what was going on at Corinth. Their carnality, look at me, was driving them rather than saying, look at Jesus. 
look at the giver of the gift and not the one in whom the gift is housed. And so there were people rushing for the platform. There were people coming to church and everybody had a song. Everybody had a tongue. They wanted to do these big, uh, 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 um, this word I'm looking for, dramatic demonstrations in the house of God. And because of that carnality, it led to chaos. People speaking in tongues and there's no interpreter. People jumping up with a word of prophecy and there's no order or subjection to the prophets in the house. There was chaos in that church. And so Paul had to write them to give them order in the house. But Paul had to let them know, okay, y'all are seeking after sign gifts and the speaking gifts. Let me tell y'all what time it is. Verse 31 of chapter 12, and this is not on the screen, but it's in the Bible. Paul told that church, but earnestly desire the best gifts Some of your versions will say the greater gifts, and yet I show you a more excellent way. Carnality and confusion in the church. Paul said, now, this is what I want. I desire that y'all will seek after the best gifts. Well, what are the best gifts? The best gifts are not the sign gifts or the speaking gifts. The best gifts or the greater gifts are the serving gifts. We got enough people trying to speak. We got enough people trying to give a word of prophecy. We got enough people trying to heal. We need some more people to be what he says here in verse 22. He says, no, much rather those members of the body which seem to be weaker, which seem to be weaker, are necessary. The ones who are not out front, the ones who seem to be weak. And those members of the body which we think to be less honorable on these we bestow greater honor, and our, pres- and our unpresentable parts have greater modesty, but our presentable parts have no need. But God composed the body, having given greater honor to the part which lacks it. So what is he saying? The greatest parts in the body are not the ones you see. It's not your face and your hair and your teeth and your hands. The, the greatest parts of the body are the parts you can't see, like your heart and your lungs, and your liver, and your kidneys, and your skeletal uh, composition, your muscles, those are the greater parts of your body. Because I can make it without an eye, but man, it will be sure tough to make it without a kidney or a lung. Oh man, So, so it's the internal organs. So Paul is saying, rather than everybody trying to rush to be an eyeball and a mouth, Why don't some of y'all rush to pick up a dustpan in the church? Why don't some of y'all rush to serve behind the scenes where can't nobody see all that stuff? All that stuff is working inside of you, but you can't see it. Paul said, we need y'all to pursue the best gifts, the greater gifts, because as Dr. King once said, everybody can be great because everybody can serve. Serve, serve, serve. And then he says, let me show you the more excellent way. Because listen, if you speak with tongues of men and angels, but you don't have love, it's like a clanging cymbal. You can give your body to be burned in the flames and you can preach and do all that, but if you don't have love, you don't have anything. Carth, what y'all need is humility and love because that will turn that church all the way around. Ah, I love how Paul spoke to this body. Well, there are at least three reasons why you may not be serving actively at Strong Tower. I'll run through them quickly. There may be three reasons. We expect you to serve actively, but here's why you may not be. One, you don't know what your spiritual gift is. And a lot of Christians don't. So we're not here to shame anyone, but we want to encourage you to learn what your gift is. Pastor, how do you know? Well, there's no formula, but here are some principles. One, listen to what other people say. 
especially older saints in the Lord, because they see stuff on you that you may not even see on yourself. And they see how you have a great bedside manner and they see mercy in you. And isn't it great that when you can have a gift that you can also make a living off your gift? Because when you're in the hospital and I see Narcissus up top and she's one of our most decorated nurses in the city of William, in the county of Williamson County. And this woman has done so much to serve people. That's who you want coming by your bedside, not a prophet. <laughs> you want somebody with the gift of mercy, you know. They know how to help when the needle don't stick right and, you know, oh, we're going to get it. We're going to get it. Prophet be like, what's wrong with your arm? What's wrong with your arm? How come it ain't going? But other people will see your gift on you. I remember when uh, people would tell me, you're going to preach. And I was running. No, I'm not. You're going to preach. Oh, boy. But then if you don't know your gift, get busy serving. Just get busy serving. The Lord likes to steer Christians who are moving. It's hard to steer your car if it's not driving. We got to start it up, take it out of park, put it in drive, then it can be steered. But a lot of us sit down and say, what is my gift? Start moving and your gift will find you. But not only that, you can ask God, God, what's my gift? Show me my gift. Then you gauge the fruit and you can take a spiritual gifts test. And we have one on our website under membership. I grew up and I did all five of those. I had people talk to me. I got busy serving. That's when he called me to preach. I went on a fast to confirm my calling. I looked at the fruit. I took a spiritual gifts test. And man, that prophecy thing always comes out. He gave you something to glorify him and edify the body. Well, if you don't know what your gift is, sometimes you know what your spiritual gift is, but you don't know how and where you can use it in the church. Well, they didn't call me. They didn't follow up with me. Well, I'm going to encourage you. Just jump in. You know, when you're at your house, hopefully this doesn't happen. If you walk by and you see a pile of clothes that had just come out of the dryer, you don't sit and wait for the maid to fold them. You can start folding them too because you see there's a need there. And you may see something that needs to be vacuumed. I know the sisters are like, praise the Lord. Pastor, say it one more time. Just serve. Jump in. We've been needing people to help Sister Charlotte Nicholson for months now. And every Sunday, she's the lady that does the screens. And so sometimes she has out-of-town issues, and she's got to travel. And so then Lasagna's trying to find someone else to fill in. It's like, man, we need more people so that she doesn't have to carry that by herself. And throughout the church, we have other areas. And sometimes you don't know what they are because we don't always tell you what they are. But man, it's better than just sitting around. Find some place to jump in. And if it ain't that spot, you will know. Like, we need help with children all the time. But you may not be called to be with children. But get back there and at least discover that you're not supposed to be with children. (laughs) Do something. Help with the teenagers. You were a teenager once. Use that gift of encouragement and exhortation to encourage kids not to do what you did or to do some of the great things that you did. I met a young lady coming into uh, church this morning who graduated from Spelman and an Ivy League college. Man, we've got stories that we can say to our young people. We can help them grow spiritually. Jump in. Don't always wait to be asked for help. We need help with cameras and we need help... Uh, doing the yard work. 
We're going to, uh, Elder Clifton is going to call for a work day coming up here soon. Amen. Amen. <laughs> he does not like it when he comes and he sees that we still need to pick up weeds. And we thank God for Sean and the guys that cut it. But man, we got to do some manicuring and planting of flowers. We did it last year. It's time to do it again. And some of you I know have green thumbs and you love to do this kind of stuff. Others of us, man, we don't like doing that stuff. That's a way to serve, serve. But then thirdly, you know what your spiritual gift is, but fear, laziness, or carnality is keeping you from using it in the church. Fear, carnality, or just plain old laziness. And my word for you is what Paul said to Timothy. Stir up the gift of God that is in you, man. Fan it in the flame. Don't let that thing run dormant. Okay, help us. Get in this thing. Help yourself. Because when you serve, listen to this. The more you serve and edify the body, the more you will be satisfied. When God uses you to edify others, the more you will be satisfied because he gave you something to give away. And it is more blessed to give than always to receive other people's gifts blessing you. And so, man, let's, let's do it. One of my professors, Dr. Elmer Towns, used to say, we are most spiritual when we use our spiritual gifts. But when we're not using our gifts, man, we're not understanding our purpose for why he gave it to us. Well, as we close this message out, not only are we to grow spiritually, Serve actively. But man, let's give obediently. Corinth was situated between two ports. And as a result, the city was very, very wealthy. Therefore, Paul expected Corinth to assist financially with helping to meet the needs of poor saints in other areas. Turn over to chapter 16 of 1 Corinthians. Corinth had money. They were wealthy. The more I look at them, the more I do see the Western church. They would make promises, but they would not follow through on their financial promises. So look at chapter 16, verse 1. It says, now concerning the collection for the saints, as I have given orders to the churches of Galatia, so you must do also on the first day of the week. That's Sunday. Let each one of you, not some of you, not just the rich people, but each one of you lay something aside, storing up as he may prosper, that there be no collections when I come. Verse 3, and when I come, whomever you approve by your letters, I will send to bear your gift to Jerusalem. So Jerusalem, they were the ones that needed the collection. Why? They were under the most persecution. The church scattered out of Jerusalem because of the Roman soldiers and everything, the government that was there. So those Christians had a hard go of it. So other churches around the area collected money so they could send it to help feed and take care of the needs of the Christians who were in Jerusalem. So Paul is like, now, uh, um, um, we can send somebody with this money? Or verse 4, but if it is fitting that I go also, they will go with me. And so we got to get this money to these folks. Uh, Paul expected each person in the church to contribute to this offering because one of the greatest indicators of where your heart is with God is where your money goes. So you want to see your heart? Let's see your spending patterns. And I always get asked this question, 
all right, pastor, how much money am I supposed to give to God? How much am I supposed to give? Okay, I'm supposed to give. How much am I supposed to give? Well, the New Testament does not give a specific amount for Christians to give to the church. And some people say, whoo, thank you, Jesus. I don't, ooh, there's no amount given. Well, hold on to your thank you, Jesus, for a second. No amount, no specific amount is given. However, we are told to give cheerfully. 2 Corinthians 9, 7. Not tearfully. <laughs> cheerfully, hilariously. Thank you, Jesus. Because I know that anything that's in my hand to give, you gave it to me. All of it is yours. Lord, I'm a cheerful, thankful giver. Here it is, Jesus. Take it. You only asked me for a little bit. You could command it all. But Lord, I'm giving cheerfully. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians 9, 5, to give generously, not stingily. Give as we have prospered, 1 Corinthians 16, 2. When you get a bonus, the church should get a bonus. Amen, walls. Amen, lights. We are to give regularly, 1 Corinthians 16, 2. We are to give purposefully. In other words, we should sit down and, and give with intention, intentionality. And we are to give lovingly, 1 Corinthians 13, 3. And all of this is giving obediently. So with God, it's never about the amount. It is always about the attitude of the heart. He owns everything. We can't impress him with anything we put in a plate. But what does bless him is the condition of our heart. Which is why when the widow put in two mites, Jesus says she put in more than the rich people. It's not about the amount. It's about the heart. So God, free up our hearts because when our hearts are freed up, our wallets are freed up. But for those who may still need a standard to work with, I'm here to tell you that 10% is a good one to use, especially when you're discipling your children. So that they just don't grow up thinking that this is their money. No, this is God's money and we should give back to God out of love and obedience to him. And so when you're teaching your children, 10% is a good place to start. So if your kids get 20 bucks, you can encourage them to put $2 into the offering. Remember when you were growing up, they had the youth offering and youth church, and you had to put something in. But let's be clear. Let's be clear. We are not under the law, Romans 6.14. Therefore, we are not under the tithe, However, there are many principles we can gain from the law because the law is still good. So we can gain principles like the tithe principle. Because let me say this about tithing. Tithing is like training wheels on a bike when you're learning how to ride a bike. Now, when you're young, and you get that bike on Christmas or for your birthday. And back then, we didn't have helmets or knee pads or none of that. You just got skint up, put spit on it, and got back on the bike. Now they dressing these kids like they, you know, going to war when they riding these bikes. <laughs> but when you first start off, though, you give your kids them training wheels. And the training wheels are there to help keep your kid up until your kid can learn how to ride without the assistance of the training wheels. And once they can do it on their own, the training wheels are not needed anymore. Tithing is like training wheels. That 10%, as our philosophy says, the tithe principle, it is a great place to aim for 
and launch from in our giving to God. So some of us, man, trying to get at 10% is tough. Man, when I look at my bills, but God says, test me in this. Trust me. Obey. Give to me and watch me open up the windows of heaven and pour out a blessing you don't have room enough to receive. Don't try to rationalize and lean on your own understanding. Man, honor me with the first fruits of your increase. So give. Some of us are aiming for 10. Oh, oh, I'm stretching. And then hopefully others of us are launching from 10. If you are 20 years old and still riding a bike with training wheels, something is wrong. And Paul says, I want you to grow in the grace of giving. You've excelled in every other thing, but I want this church to excel in giving. Because I tell you, if that church can excel in serving, giving, oh, it's proof that it is growing spiritually. It's a strong tower. In conclusion, Paul had great expectations for the church of Corinth. He expected them to grow spiritually, to serve actively, and to give obediently. And we have that, those same expectations for this church. We have it for one another. And so, man, let's meet those expectations. So to the members of Strong Tower, it's good to ask yourself from time to time. You know, you got to get your oil checked from time to time. You know, you got to get your tires rotated. And sometimes in the house of God, we got to get our oil checked. Where am I with the philosophy of the church? Am I growing spiritually at this church? Because believe me, we want you to grow spiritually, individually and corporately. But if there's another church that you can grow at a greater clip with, then here, by all means, we bless you. We encourage you. We don't want to stifle anyone's growth because there was a time where when we didn't have certain ministries and people needed certain ministries and other churches had those ministries. Man, by all means, if that is part of what your growth is, please Go. So, growing spiritually. Are you growing? And if God has called you here, ask yourself, man, what could be hindering my spiritual growth? Am I serving actively at my home church? If not, man, where can I jump in? Let me stop making excuses. Am I giving obediently at my church? If not, Lord, what do you want me to give? Let's have that conversation. I open up my heart, I open up the scriptures. Lord, what do you want me to give? And others of us may need to ask, how do I join this church? Well, you can begin by attending one of the next pre-members classes that my wife and I will host in our home, April 16th or May 21st, both from 9 to 12. And come test the spirits and come hang out. And and maybe you could be like the group that will be here next Sunday, getting the right hand of fellowship, joining this motley crew of folk called Strong Tower Bible Church. Let's pray. Father, we surrender all. We recognize, Jesus, that in order to find our lives, we got to lose them. we got to give them away. Forgive us when we've gotten selfish with the life that you redeemed. When we get selfish with the life that you created. And those things, the selfishness, when we put ourselves on the throne as opposed to acknowledging you're on the throne, it will stifle and hinder our spiritual growth. It will also keep us from serving others, and we won't give. But Lord, uh, the victory is found in the surrendering, in the yielding, in the dying. So Lord, we die to ourselves that we may grow spiritually. We die to our agendas that we may just serve, whether we get a pat on the back or called out for encouragement or not. We're just going to serve. And God, we're going to give. Whether we're giving two mites or two million dollars, we're going to give 
to your honor and to your glory. We give it to you. We don't even give it to a church. We give it to you, the head of the church. So thank you for what you're doing in this body. Thank you for the word. Thank you that there's nothing new under the sun. The things that Paul encouraged that body to be about in 8055 is the same stuff we're dealing with in 2016. Thank you, Lord Jesus. And as Paul said in that letter, come quickly, Lord. Maranatha, we want to see you, Jesus. But until then, you're building a church that the gates of hell cannot prevail against. It. Thank you, Lord, for strong tower. As Paul said earlier, thank you for 20 years. But Lord, we believe that the best is yet to come. We really do believe that. So thank you, God. We surrender everything. We give you ourselves. In Jesus' name, amen.